Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Happy spring to all of you. Hope you got out and enjoyed the 80-degree weather yesterday. Um, I did. It was awesome. All right. So I'm excited about today. I say that every week, but it's true. Um, I'm excited. Now, I, if you haven't noticed, I'm a teacher. I like to teach um, what the Bible says. And I realized something. God put on my heart to do um, some teaching, um, what we would call, usually I do topical messages, which means we'll talk about something like forgiveness. And so I'll bring different scriptures from throughout the Bible that deal with, with forgiveness. Um, and they call that a topical message. And something I realize I haven't done here very many times is an expository message, which means we start with a section of Scripture and we just work from there and see where that leads us. And I've been feeling that God was leading me to do a message on James in an expository way. So we're going to go to James chapter 1. Um, boringest title for a message ever, James chapter 1. Um, but we'll find out it's not going to be boring at all because we're going to hit a lot of really fun topics. And so this will be, be a little bit different than usual because instead of diving into one topic, which, by the way, I was so tempted to do, I'm like in the first verse, I'm like, oh, I could spend an entire message on this topic. And I'm like, nope, nope, we're going to follow where James takes us. Okay, so James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's James. He is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about who are you. When, if someone says, who is Susie? Who is Bob? Who is Phil? Who is Linda? Who are you? Are you what you do? Well, I'm a fireman. I'm a pastor. I'm an accountant, a secretary, a CEO. Are you what you have? Well... I'm rich, I'm middle class, I'm poor, I'm this. Are you where you are? Well, I'm an American. I'm, an, I'm, I'm from Holland. Are you what you were born into? Are you what you look like? Is that who your, your identity is? James says his identity is in who he serves. He says... I, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, a piece of our identity comes from all those things, where we are, what we're doing. But our truest identity is in whom we serve. So we can take that encouragement from James and let's continue on. Next thing he says, you're going to love this one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let's read that one again. Consider it pure joy. Not like deal with it, suck it up, handle it. No, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What a start. Like, and why? Why would I consider challenges and difficulties to be anything 
positive at all. He says it in the next verse, because. So he's going to explain. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that. What have we said a bunch of times? When you see a so that, find out what the so that is there for. So that you may be mature and complete. Why do we, should we, see value in difficulties? Because we should recognize that going through difficulties is what brings us to a place of maturity and completeness. Now, we have six kids, five boys. What do boys want to grow up to become? Strong. It, it's fun watching like eight-year-olds flexing in front of the mirror. You know, they've got these tiny little muscles and they're, you know, and they're coming in, Dad, look at this. Well, what, they're, they're going to grow. And, and, and we like to go out and we like to do things and we've got like a gym uh, we've got some lifting equipment in our garage, and, and we'll take them out, and we'll go do mountain biking and different things like that. And you know what happens? When they go out there, and we have an exceptionally awesome day of physical activity, the next day, sometimes those boys will say, Dad, I'm sore. And you know what I say? Great! <laughs> and they're like, but... But it hurts. And I say, but you understand that if your muscle is sore, that means you worked it enough that it's going to get stronger. Oh. You know, like when they understand that what they're experiencing is evidence that their future they want is on its way. Suddenly, it's not so frustrating anymore to have a sore muscle. How many of you guys go to the gym? How many of you guys have a gym membership? How about that? <laughs> the gym membership industry, the global industry, is a $96.7 billion industry. $96.7 billion gets paid by individuals who pay the gyms that they're going to go work with for the privilege of being able to go work out there. Why do they do that? Why do we go to the gym and, and work and sweat and, and endure the challenge of lifting weights or climbing on the stair machine or walking on the treadmill or whatever it is that you're doing? Why? Because you recognize that it will bring about the desired goal. Exercise recognizes that strength is the result of struggle. We call it resistance training. He said, count it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. See, immaturity assumes Hardship is the destination. Immaturity sees every challenge as the destination. 
When my kids wake up and they're sore, if they consider soreness to be the, the final destination, they're frustrated. I did all that yesterday for this? I'm sore this morning. But maturity recognizes that this isn't the destination. Maturity recognizes that trials, difficulties, challenges, that's not the end of the story. One of the Satan's biggest strategies is to, to take a snapshot of this moment and then say, that's your future. You're having a frustrating moment at work. This is what working for them will be like for 50 years. <laughs> Buckle up. You're going to have to endure this exact frustration for 50 more years. And what do you do? Oh, I don't know if I can handle 50 more years of being sore, of, of feeling this way. Immaturity looks at, at struggle and challenge and says, this is forever. Immaturity doesn't account for growth or change. Immaturity expects everything to remain as it is. And when we see the world through an immature view, we will be frustrated and we will struggle to follow James' advice. Count it all joy. Why in the world would I count a struggle joy? Because it's not going to last forever. It's temporary. It's, it's part of life. But life is moving. And so are you. You're going to continue. You're going to get through this. And you know, something else is going to happen. And when it does, be glad that it's over. And keep moving. Immaturity thinks this is it. But it's not. Immaturity looks at your, your job situation and says it's never going to be any better than this. Immaturity looks at your situation with your kids and says they're always going to treat me like that. They're always going to have that attitude. This is always going to be what they're doing. Immaturity looks at, at your marriage and at your situation in, at home and says it will never change. This is the best that I can expect. So I should plan for this struggle to continue forever, or I should quit. No. No. And we're going to come back, because as we continue through James, we're going to see the theme of perseverance come back again and again. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Oh, I love this verse. You can, you can ask my wife. She's heard me pray so many different times. This is one of my favorite prayers. God, 
give me wisdom. God, give them wisdom. God, why? Because God says if you want wisdom, if you don't feel like you understand exactly what to do in a situation, ask God. Realize sometimes we don't have, the Bible says it, because we don't ask. Wish I knew what to do. Guess I don't. Oh, well. God says, if you desire wisdom, if you lack it, then ask for it. And he says he'll give generously without finding fault. We, some of us needed to hear that. He's not nitpicking, oh, I don't know if I can give you wisdom. I mean, look at the dumb thing you did last week. What if I give you wisdom and you misuse it somehow? No, he's not finding fault. You ask and he'll give it. It says, and, and did you guys notice that? And it will be given to you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Proverbs says, learning, getting understanding, getting wisdom should be one of your top goals. You should desire to understand and to apply wisdom. Understanding is the info. Wisdom is how to apply it. Well, I've used this example many, many times, but it's just my favorite example, so I'm going to use it again. If we have a little kid, and we're going to say he's eight, right? And he's playing outside in front of his house. But he has a small yard, but he lives on a not-so-busy street. He's eight years old. He knows you have to look both ways before you cross the street, right? He understands. And he knows that playing in the street is dangerous because of cars coming. So what does he do? He goes and plays in the street until he sees a car coming, and then he gets out of the way. Smart kid. He understands. But if he is wise, he'll understand that at eight years old, he knows to get out of the way of the car, but his three-year-old brother, who is watching him and playing in the yard will try to copy what he does without understanding to get out of the way when the car comes. So if he is a wise eight-year-old, he will not play in the street because he understands how that would likely impact his three-year-old brother who's watching and lacks understanding. There's understanding and then there's wisdom to apply that understanding. Wisdom is knowing how to apply understanding. Understanding sees how much money you have. Wisdom plans to maximize its benefit. Says, let's save, let's invest. Oh, we can spend this, let's not spend that. Understanding discovers you've been hurt or betrayed. Understanding's like, they did that. Wisdom recognizes that the only way to free yourself from the harm of that betrayal is to forgive those who did it. It's awesome that the scripture gives us certainty that wisdom will be given us. If this is not a regular prayer for you, I, I double dog dare you to start <laughs> praying for wisdom. When you're in a situation and you don't know what to do, ask God, God, 
give me wisdom. This should be a very common prayer. When we look at Paul's prayers, and we've done this before, we've done an entire sermon series where we looked at Paul's prayers. Do you remember one of the things we noticed? That he kept focusing on knowledge, realization, comprehension, our grasp. He says, what you understand is key to walking forward in the life that God has for you. Verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave, a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All right, when I read that verse, like, it kind of gets my attention. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. What person? What person shouldn't expect to believe or to receive anything? What person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do? It says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. We could definitely spend an entire message right here. There is a big difference between believing God can and God did, or God can and God will. So many of us pray, and we confuse believing He can with believing He will. So, we just read, pray. Ask for wisdom, and God will give it to you. So, we would be tempted to pray, God, I know you know what to do. I know you could tell me what to do. I hope you do. Right? That's kind of the way that so many of us pray. I believe that you could tell me if you wanted to. I'm just not sure you want to. And so we pray. Please, hopefully, It'd sure be nice if, maybe, you'd give me that wisdom. I know you promised it, but I'm st- and I know you could give it to me. I know you could. I just don't know that you will. And then, when we do a self-evaluation of where did I stand in my prayer? Did, did, I, did, I, did I doubt? We're like, well, no. I know he can. When the the prayer doesn't come through the way we expected, so many times we reveal ourselves and we're like, I knew it. Yeah, I knew that. I, I, I kind of expected this. Mark 9, 23 through 25 says, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd that was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you out of him and never enter him again. So this father comes to Jesus 
asks for a miracle. And Jesus responds, do you believe? And he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. Ooh, I like that verse. Because sometimes that's me. I, I rarely struggle with he can. But sometimes I struggle with he will. I can ask for his help in my unbelief. I can say, God, help me to grow in my confidence regarding your promises, your faithfulness, your character. We're going to touch on this again as we continue in chapter 1. But the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that Word, what is the Word? It is the testimony of His faithfulness. As I grow in confidence in His faithfulness, I grow in certainty that He not only can, but will. Believers, this is verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even when they go about their business. This is, this is interesting because this verse tells us to boast, depending on your translation, it says boast in or take pride in. It says to the humble, take pride in your high position. What position is it talking about? It's talking about our position in Christ. And that the rich should boast or take pride in their low position. Doesn't the Bible say pride comes before a fall? Like, isn't all pride just bad, 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 bad? And we have this perspective that humility is lowliness. Being humble is, and, and we, we, we even use this term, and we've adopted it and said, if someone has humble beginnings, do we mean their beginnings lacked pride? Not really. What we mean is they didn't have diddly. Like, they had humble beginnings. Well, they were just poor. They didn't have anything. We've, we've begun to use the word humble as just to not have. But biblically, that's not what humility is. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by grace, the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Here's the clincher. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He says, you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Not that you cannot think highly of yourself. 
Not that you cannot think positively about yourself, but there is a line by which you should not cross. He says, what you need to do is think of yourself with sober judgment, neither an extreme high nor, get this, sober judgment means you can err on the other side as well. Don't think of yourself too highly, nor should you take, think of yourself too lowly, but you need to be in accordance with what God says about you. My favorite example about false, of false humility is Moses. Do you remember the story of Moses? You know, Moses messed things up. He tried to deliver the Egyptians, one at a, or the, the Hebrews one at a time, killing an Egyptian soldier. He had to be banished from Egypt. He ran off. He's 40 years in the desert. He's out there watching sheep. And then the burning bush happens. God shows up to interrupt his routine and tell him, I am sending you back to Egypt to deliver the Hebrews from Pharaoh. And Moses is being spoken to by God in this bush. This like, massive miracle is happening right in front of him. God is talking to him. And God says, go do this. Remember what Moses says? I can't. You want me to talk to Pharaoh? I'm not a good speaker. I stutter. That's what he says. God says, do this, and he says, I can't. Oh, what a humble guy. No. No, that's not humility. Actually, that's pride. You know why? God says, you do this, and you say, actually, God, my opinion of myself matters more to me than your opinion of me. I don't consider myself worthy. You think I can do that? Mm, no thanks. I believe my perspective on who I am, what I can do, and I value it more than yours. That's some serious pride right there. But it comes off as humility. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I st- st- stutter. And, you know, and, and I... One of my favorite verses. I have so many favorite verses. One of my favorite <laughs> verses is when he replies and, sa- and God replies to Moses. Moses says, I can't do that. I stutter. And God says, who made your mouth? Ooh. 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 Great, oh, yeah. You did. See, Moses was like down on himself and... and it was pride. He's not supposed to, th- he's what he's supposed to do, what Moses was supposed to do is say, okay, God, I recognize that in myself, I am lacking a few of the skills that would be ideal to accomplish the mission you have just given me. But I trust that if you are giving me this mission, that you will make up for whatever I need in the areas that I would see myself as lacking because you have given me this mission. I neither consider it myself. Look at, oh, God, I got this. See you at the end. I can do it all. No, that would be pride. But also, oh, God, I can't do this. Don't 
ask it of me. I'm not going to even try because I just anticipate that I will fail. You see how both of those are wrong. We are to take, the, the Bible says, the person who is humble needs to take pride in recognizing what God has given them. The high place that they have been put by becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. They need to boast of what God has put in them. And then the rich person, the person who appears to have it all, needs to recognize what you have on your own is fleeting. Recognize that you are and will be God's. And what he has for you, that's what lasts. You need to be boasting not about the fleeting things that you've managed to accomplish that someone else maybe didn't. You need to boast in who God has made you to be. Moses was not to lean on his own ability, nor was he supposed to trust that what he knew of himself was all there was going to be. He needed to trust in God. Pride is valuing your opinion of yourself over God's opinion, period. Whether that's a, a high opinion of yourself or a low opinion of yourself, when your opinion matters more to you than what God has said he can and will do through you, you are proud. And I don't know what the statistics are in this room, but most of us have not hit it perfectly on the, 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 the level. Most of us, one way or the other. And I'm going to step out on a limb and I'm going to say more of us are in false humility than in pride. That we, that we label pride. Most of us are proud of how much value we have given our insufficiency. Yeah, I can't do that and I know it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not proud. <laughs> not me. I can't do that and I don't even try. <laughs> Look at that guy trying. How dare he? He should be more like me. I don't try because I know I can't. Who made your mouth? Who created you? Who gave you purpose? Who put that dream and vision inside of you? That was God. And he wants to fulfill that in you. You need to boast, the Bible says, in what God has called you to do. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. James, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here it is again. Verse, like, was it one or two? He's counted all joy when you endure difficulties. And now he says, blessed are those who persevere. By definition, who is persevering? People going through stuff are persevering. 
He says, the one who perseveres, and in case it wasn't clear, he says, under trial. Blessed are those who persevere under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Years ago, I was part of a discipleship program. Uh, We called it the Honor Academy, and it was a year-long program where we would take young folks, straight, usually straight out of high school um, or, or college, and we would develop them in leadership and, and give them an opportunity to intern at a ministry, and, and we would teach leadership, and we would do all these things. And we had this event we called the Emotionally Stretching Opportunity of a Lifetime. <laughs> and it was actually fashioned after the same concept that the Navy SEALs use during what they call Hell Week. When they train, how many of you ever heard of what the Navy SEALs go through? They go through this very difficult time, and at any moment they can, they can step out, they can quit by simply ringing a bell and they're out. Now, what I didn't realize before we studied this, but we talked to people at the military training places who, who were doing this, and we asked them, what is it? I always imagined that those challenges were set up to be so difficult, only the strongest could survive. Do you want to know something? Not true. Not true. The entire experience is designed not to reward strength, but to reward perseverance. Is it hard? Absolutely. It's hard. But it's hard in a way that is designed not to to favor bigger muscles. Just perseverance. Doing push-ups till you fail. And then doing it again until you fail. And then doing it again until you fail. And, And staying up sleep deprivation, all these things. So we, we had this opportunity. We told our, our, our students, you said, this is voluntary. You do not have to participate in this activity. But if you want to take an opportunity to see how far you can stretch yourself emotionally, we'll provide you with this opportunity. If you say yes, we won't tell you when. We'll just surprise you with it. We won't tell you how long. Your goal needs to be to finish. And that was it. So the students understood they'll be able to quit any time. And we're going to, you know, do this. They, they signed up, the ones who wanted to participate, which turned out to be most of them. And we showed up at their dorms at like 11.30 at night, right? You know, they're starting to go to sleep. Woke them up, drove them out into the mountains, and started this challenging situation for the next 30 hours. But they didn't know how long it would be. And we did frustrating things. We made them stand up, sit down, roll down. You know what one of their least favorite things to do was? Roll down a hill. More people quit because we asked them to roll down a hill. Than you know what? They would get dizzy. It would be like frustrating. We had this situation. Now, I'll never forget what happened to one of the guys named Luis. The day before, we had hired a water truck to come out and just soak them. And it created this mud puddle. 
And we had this routine where they would just go through this thing. They'd stand up, sit down, kneel down, lean, lean forward, do a push-up, sit down. And they had to do that in the middle of a mud puddle. Again, nothing was so difficult that they couldn't. It was just a matter of your mind will tell you to quit long before you need to. Okay? So we had done this. Then we had left. And then we were coming back. Now, this is what Luis didn't know. The entire event was over. We had already decided we're going to end it at this time. But one of the leaders, I don't remember what they were doing. Like, maybe they had to use the restroom or something. So we gathered everyone together. We're going to announce that they have finished. They have accomplished the entire event. They stuck to it. But the leader wasn't there. So we're waiting like three more minutes. And I lined everybody up in front of the puddle, like we're going to go get wet again. <laughs> Luis quits. He says, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to go in there again. I'm done. He, he comes up to me. He says, where, you know, where's the bell? He's going to bow. I say, are you sure you want to quit? Absolutely. I cannot handle one more moment. He walks over. He rings the bell. He's like, I'm out. Around the corner comes the leader. We announce to everybody else, you've done it. You've, you've accomplished the whole thing. You know who learned a valuable lesson that day? Luis. Luis. He, he believed that he could not. Because he anticipated hours and hours more. He anticipated things that didn't actually happen. It wasn't what he endured that made him quit. It was the fear and anticipation of what he thought he had yet to endure. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is what God said. He said, I will provide what you need to endure what you will face. This is what he doesn't say. I will also provide what you need to endure what you imagine you might face. So many of us are overwhelmed by what we think might happen. That we quit in anticipation of what might happen. I've shared this before. When you worry, there are so many ways to die. You can die in a car accident, a plane crash. You can get sick. You can freeze. You can drown. You can die of a long list of diseases. But you know something? How many times can you die? Once. Barring some pretty amazing circumstances, once. But there are people who have invested and spent emotional energy on 75 different ways that they might die, and they are exhausted. But it was impossible that they would endure all of that, because worst case scenario, one of those things came through. But they spent the emotional energy on all of them. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. God says, I will provide a way out so you can endure it. Mark Twain said this, I have experienced many troubles in life, in my life, most of which never happened. Mark Twain, what a writer. He said, I have experienced many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. You realize God has promised us the strength to endure what actually happens. And we spend that strength on the stuff that maybe, coulda, shoulda, mighta, maybe can. No. Blessed is he who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James, moving forward. 1, 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He says, nobody should say, God made me do it. God caused me. He says, no, it is always your evil desire. Desire, when you feed it, becomes a thought. A thought, and we've talked about this before. I can't stop every thought from coming at me, but I definitely don't have to dwell on every thought that comes. And I've said it this way, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. <laughs> Thoughts come. But he says, so it's the desire becomes a thought, a thought dwelled on becomes a sin. When does it become a sin? Jesus, we say, you know what? If you think on something long enough, eventually you do it. Jesus actually said, if he, he rocked the Pharisees' world when he said, it's not just about what you do, it's about what you wish you could do. He said, if you reach a point where you're like, all I need is the opportunity and I would do it, he said, you've already sinned in your heart. Not that I had a thought, but I rejected it. That's not the same thing. It's, man, and, and even our justice system treats this this way. If you try to murder someone and fail, guess what? You don't get to say, well, they're still alive, I'm off the hook. <laughs> no, they say, you intended, you desired. Given the, had the opportunity been there, had you been a better shot, had you, you know, had the gun not misfired, had, had whatever not happen. You would have done it had you had the opportunity to do it. You, it, it's attempted murder. And you go to prison. And Jesus said the same thing. He says, if you are committed in your heart to lust or to murder, 
or to those things, then, then you have committed that sin. So desire becomes thought, thoughts dwelled on becomes sin. And sin, the Bible says, when it conceives, brings forth death. James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my brothers. How many times has he said this? This is a big deal. Don't be deceived. Why does the Bible say don't be deceived? Because it knows that a bunch of us are going to be. So when the Bible says don't be deceived, you need to be like, ooh, am I deceived in this? It says, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits that he created. He says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Who does not change like shifting shadows? What do shadows do? In the morning, the sun comes up in the east, comes up over there, and my shadow is on this side. In the afternoon, it's gone over here. My shadow is on the opposite side by afternoon. And every day, it keeps happening. Every day, my shadow starts over here and then goes over there. And then it starts over here and then it goes over there. And the Bible says that is not what God is like. Every good and perfect thing comes from him. You know what people are deceived by? They believe that on Monday, God wants to bless me, and on Tuesday, he gave me a cold. On Wednesday, he wants to give me a great moment with my kids. On Thursday, well, he's getting me fired. (laughs) On Friday, is that not an area? Have any of you seen someone who's deceived in that way? who believes God is doing this, good things, bad things, everything. God is trying to do me harm, but sometimes he's not, and sometimes he is. And the Bible says he is not like that shifting shadow that in the morning is pointing east and in the evening is pointing west, and, or the other way around, technically, because it's coming from the east and it's going to the west. But he says that's not God. God is not bless them on Monday, hurt them on Tuesday, bless them on Wednesday. That's what shifting shadows do. The Bible says, do not be deceived. That is not what God is like. Romans. He's not like shifting shadows. We need to become fully convinced of God's character. In order to have faith, faith is a confidence. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard by the word of God. What you feed your heart will determine where your confidence comes from. If you are not confident, if if the most confidence you have is he can, I'm not sure he will. I think he could, but I don't know if he wants to. How will you go from that place to the place of unwavering faith? The Bible says that it comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does that mean? By feeding your confidence with the testimony of the scripture and his faithfulness to his promises. It's hard to be full of faith when your confidence is coming from someplace else. Isaiah 53.1 says it this way, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
what do I believe? What feeds my confidence? Remember the 12 spies that went in to to check out the promised land and they came back and they had seen these cities with giants in them and all of these fortified walls and they had seen these amazing crops. They came back carrying between two people one bunch of grapes and they said, this place is amazing. Everyone agreed. This place is amazing. Ten of the spies said, also there's giants there, really big cities, we can't do it, we're going to die, let's go back to the desert. And two of them said, God promised us this land. He will follow through on his promises. Let's go get it. Whose report are we going to believe? What's funny is Henry Ford said this. He who thinks he can and he who thinks he can't are both right. He who thinks he can and he who thinks he can't are both right. The spies were all correct. Caleb and Joshua did end up going in and possessing the land. But they had to wait 40 years for all the other people who followed the advice of the 10 spies to die. Because they said they couldn't and they didn't. God said, you don't think you can, you won't. You think you can, you will. Do not be deceived. Faith comes by hearing. God does not flip-flop back and forth between good and bad. If you feel that way about God, then it's time to change your information source. What report are you believing? Are you over there listening to the ten spies? Or the two that had a report that was consistent with God's promises? James. It's time to be done. I thought maybe I could get an entire chapter in today. We got through James 19. I need to mark that spot. All right. God is awesome. And he desires to bless us. He has promised to provide a way out of whatever comes our way. He has promised to bless us with good and not bad. I hope that you come away from this encouraged. Encouraged that God is there to equip us to go through and beyond whatever it is that we're facing. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you I thank you that you love us, that you have planted in each and every one of us a vision of your purpose for our lives, Lord. I just ask that you would make that clear in us, that we would believe what you have said about us, not what situations or our past has said. Lord, I pray that none of us would be like Moses saying, I can't, but that we would step up and say, through you, all things are possible. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.